The injunction from the Savior to be not afraid, only believe, presents a unique challenge to all of us. Are our convictions planted firmly enough to hold steady even after tragedy strikes? The path of discipleship does not come without growing pains. In fact, it welcomes them. Only through our commitment to faith and growth can we courageously forge our way forward, unafraid and believing. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I don't like to fly. Maybe it has something to do with heights. My thing I'm afraid of is heights. I'm low-key afraid of dogs. Oh, and I'm deathly afraid of heights, like all the way. Fear can be good and bad. Sometimes it puts you out of your comfort zone and causes you to experience things that you're fearful of and you know, you reach out and learn how to accomplish them. It helps keep us safe. It helps protect us, um, keep us from danger, um, which is a, a wonderful thing. But fear unchecked ends up being, it can be hindering to your progress and it can be hindering to um, you taking bold moves or the necessary moves that you need to move forward in life or, you know, in any type of circumstance. Welcome everybody. My name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is James Goldberg. James is an author, writer, playwright, an overall just fantastic guy. He is a historian for the Church History Department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. James, as always, it's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, it's good to be here, Ben. And our special guest today seated next to James is Ana Islas. Ana is a native of Venezuela and a high school Spanish teacher. She's also on the board of a nonprofit organization that helps Venezuelans in crisis obtain resources to support themselves and reunite with their families. Ana, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And in addition to our scholar and guest, we also wanna welcome our studio audience. Thank you all for being here. And to our viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Throughout the discussion, we'll invite you to share your experiences with us on any of our social media platforms. And for downloadable resources for study and teaching, visit byutv.org slash come follow up for more. Topics for our discussion will come from Matthew chapters 9 and 10, Mark chapter 5, and Luke chapter 9. And as usual, this tracks with the come follow me lesson outlines that have been provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are Be Not Afraid, Only Believe, and the Blessings and Costs of Discipleship. We'll then expound on these topics and more later on the footnotes segment of the show. So James, do you want to get us started before we jump into the specific first topic? Do you want to just give us a little background on some of these chapters and tell us what's going on? So in the Gospels, Jesus is traveling a lot. Mm -hmm. and moving around different places within this area. And you'll see him move across the lake a lot. And sometimes what happens is that people who, are, who love him are crowding him. Sometimes people who are opposed to him are kind of driving him away. But he'll move between Galilee, which is mostly Jewish, to this place called the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. In these chapters, he's just finished performing a miracle and then he comes back to Capernaum. This time he gets back there, and as soon as they're hitting the dock, right, there's a need. Okay. One of the leaders of the city 
Jairus, who's a head of the synagogue, sends a messenger saying, my daughter's sick, she needs help now. So Jesus heads toward that. And then the gospels do a thing they do a lot, which is interrupt one story to give us another. Okay. And often the two are connected in some way. And you see in this case, he's heading to a 12-year-old girl who's sick. Mm -hmm. And we get the story of a woman who's been sick for 12 years. She's had this bleeding problem. Okay. And, and she decides she needs to touch Jesus. And if she can just touch him, so much hasn't worked, but maybe she'll be healed. And that's the story. And this is where we get, you know, the, the topic of our first discussion is be not afraid, only believe. Uh, Anna, what are some of your thoughts on this idea of, of overcoming some of the fears and taking risks in life, seeking for something better? Yeah, I think we all go through that, huh? We always trying to reach for better, right? In my case, I was born and raised in Venezuela, and um, I moved out of the country when I was almost 25 years old. I was told straightforward from just those big spiritual experiences you have that I had to come here. I didn't have a plan. I, I really didn't know why the reason, but as I've seen through the years, how um, I have been influenced others and bring others to Christ through uh, my talents and gifts, then I realize the purpose of things. So yes, I, I've been scared and I've been afraid, but then something good came from that. And I think there's a lot of times in life where, where we end up getting there because there's not a logical way right. forward. And that's right? illustrated perfectly in these two uh, accounts. Yeah. I mean, I think of the woman with the issue of blood. And you've got to remember in this time and culture, that also affects her ability to be in contact with other mm -hmm. people and relationships. Okay. And it was so important to her that she spent all she had to try to fix this problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we've got that. in So like in Mark chapter 5, mm -hmm. it says in 25, she'd had this issue of blood 12 years. And then in verse 26, and had suffered many things of many physicians wow. trying to solve it. She was trying really hard to fix the problem, mm -hmm. so it mattered to her. Yeah. yeah. And like you had said, had spent all that she had mm -hmm. and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Mm -hmm. How frustrating. And so here's the time, just like when you're watching your country sort of slide and get more and more difficult, there, there's a desperation, uh -huh. right? What do I do? To get on your knees or ask, what is it that I can do yep. now? What can I try now? Mm -hmm. And it says, when she heard of Jesus, right? Maybe in passing, but mm -hmm. something hit her and she decided she needed to get to him. And when there's a crowd, it says, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. Wow. She tried everything else. There wasn't a rational, logical way forward, mm -hmm. but she had that feeling and she wasn't going to just give up. Mm -hmm. You know, and even with Jairus, would you mind telling us a little bit about him and his background and why it was sought after Jesus to help him out? One thing it tells us about Jairus uh, is that he was one of the rulers of the synagogue in verse 22. And that phrase tells you something, right? That he's a community leader. People look to him. And in a lot of mm -hmm. villages back in those days, the leaders are the people you go to to solve conflicts, right? If two people are fighting, they're going to take it to somebody like Jairus. So I don't know, but I would imagine that knowing how strong people's feelings are one way and another about Jesus, mm -hmm. he'd really rather have kind of kept his distance, kept neutral, let that just play out. 
and, and that's where I think this idea of having to overcome some of those fears, and in this case, so some of those social fears, you know, the woman with the issue of blood taking on a crowd, Jairus, the backlash that he might face. I would love to hear examples from the audience on when have you had to overcome a fear to follow a prompting you have received? Parley. I remember this one experience I had on my mission, actually. Um, it was towards the end of my mission and I just got the transfer call that I was going to have a new companion. And this companion was notorious for being kind of a rambunctious, disobedient <laughs> kind of, you know, I remember just getting on my knees the night before he was going to come in and I, I was praying really hard because I was like, God, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have no idea. What if he does this? What if he does that? What if I, I had no idea how to react? And I, I remember I just got this very strong prompting and all it said was just love him. Hmm. And I was like, that's not going to solve the problem. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I decided I would try and go through with it, even though I didn't really understand why he would want me to do that. Um, and so we became companions and I just, I did my very best uh, to just love him. I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt all the time. I, uh, you know, made his bed. We like tried to be as, as friendly as possible to each other. And we actually became really good buds. We became really good and we actually worked really, really well together. And it, it was so surprising to see something like that because I would never have expected to get along with somebody so well and to work so well with them. But really just having the courage to love somebody mm -hmm. in that way um, opened up so many doors for me. Well, so. thank you for sharing that. Now, Anna, you do a lot of work with helping others. Now that you have overcome some challenges and some fears, Talk to us about what you are now doing with that to bless lives of others. Well, when I came out of uh, Venezuela, it was a time where people could not get out of the country. It was really difficult to get out after that, even for vacations, for any purposes. But now that I'm here and I'm, I have contacts and I, I know some people and me and um, a missionary, another missionary I serve with, we started a nonprofit organization to help Venezuelans that wanted to leave Venezuela to other countries uh, or to be self-sufficient in Venezuela or those that were able to come to the United States, we will help them just to start. And I've seen in these families and the impact that we had just with little bit of resources for them just to start, how difficult it is for them. This last family we had about two months ago in our house, uh, we didn't have a lot of fundings in our uh, own organization, but I just, I just wrote really quick in, in the Facebook neighborhood page um, that we just had a, a refugee family in my house for a couple of days and they didn't have anything. And in a matter of one night, the whole neighborhood brought new toys, coloring books, uh, crayons. They brought clothing, toothpaste, toothbrush, and countless things. I was overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed. We were just crying about you know, all these people coming and knocking our door and bringing things. People really have intention to help each other. But now as the time goes by, I can see how the things that I've done has helped me to help others later on. You know, there's another connection between the story of Jairus and his daughter and the woman with the issue of blood I wanna, I wanna talk about. So Jairus, I mean, his daughter had just passed. The Savior didn't come heal her, he brought her back. Mm -hmm. after she had died. The woman with the issue of blood, 12 years. thats I'm sure this wasn't the first time she sought help from above. So the question came in, asked about 
the timing of the Lord's blessing. So let's watch that and I'll get your responses. Hi, I'm Danielle Latu. I am from Lemon Grove, California. So my question is, when I'm genuinely seeking comfort or answer from God, does it matter what my prayers look like? If I go in depth with how I converse with God as compared to whether I just let him hear my heart, um, does his timing and his answers depend on the depth of my conversation? That's a good question. Does God's timing depend on the depth of our prayers? We have a tendency to make our prayers more meaningful when we are suffering or when we're in pain, right? So I can see how, how you may think, you know, you receive these big spiritual miracles or spiritual experiences when you're praying with this, like strongly, uh, but not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? right? What I think is not true is that we somehow earn right. blessings or change timing just by, by being more fervent, mm -hmm. right? And I particularly say that because I don't want someone to feel, well, I, I just didn't pray fervently enough right. and like beat themselves up. Uh -huh. Like, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. God wants to bless you. That's what Jesus said, is, is that if you ask, you're able to receive. The one thing that may happen though is if God is sending help, we got to be ready to get up and get it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so if a more fervent prayer is going to help put you in a position to take those actions, right? You mentioned the woman in this story with the issue of blood. If her prayer gives her the courage okay. to push through that crowd, then yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah God something. can give her an answer now that otherwise might be later mm -hmm. or might be a thing that doesn't get worked out in this life. So, so I think God wants to bless us, yeah. but, but sometimes prayer can give us the strength to do our part of yeah. reaching those blessings. I do think that when your prayers are more meaningful, you just set yourself to have that um, environment where you can receive more light and you can and feel the spirit strongly. I wish we could do the same when we are when we're okay, right? When we're not yeah. having big struggles, uh -huh. right? Wouldn't that be awesome if we just get to the habit? But usually we tend to pray when we're having a hard time. And that's when the spirit can flow because we tend to have those meaningful prayers. And then we have those big spiritual experiences. I think God wants to, he's trying to develop a relationship. Yes. And so perhaps the depth of our prayers strengthens that relationship with him is which, which is his ultimate goal. And as far as like, do we earn his, you know, uh, his blessings through the depth? That, that's, that's really hard to say, right? And a strong relationship includes both deep moments mm -hmm. and just casual everyday ones. Yeah. Right. And they're uh -huh. both important. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I'm excited to explore a little bit more in these chapters and footnotes, but thank you both for your comments, audience. Thank you for, for sharing with us and for the viewers at home. How do you fight off fear and choose to follow God um, even when things seem a, a little bit uh, illogical? Uh, share with us on Facebook and Instagram. I think the best way that I can be a disciple of Christ is through how I treat other people. I just wanna be open to people and just try to be people's friends. You know, even if we don't agree on everything, I just wanna be someone's friend like Christ is. If you don't judge them, but just welcome people, they feel 
the love of Christ and that way you can be a light to the people around you. Christ came for the sinners, the sick and the needy and um, the outcasts. And I think that it is important that we do our best, that I do my best to not judge and to be kind and to share the love of Christ. So the second topic we're going to discuss is the blessings and costs of discipleship. And we're going to touch on both of these, you know, some of the blessings, some of the costs. Um, and I want to kind of go in, in order. The reason why we're talking about this, and James, maybe you can touch on this a little more, is at this point, uh, Jesus is calling his disciples. You want to explain to us a little bit behind his reasoning, his purpose? What is he driving towards? Yeah, well, that, that's a good question. What we know is that after these, these stories of ministering and miracles that we've read about, Jesus calls together 12 disciples, a disciples, a, a follower, mm -hmm. right? And he calls them as apostles. An apostle is a messenger, someone who goes out. And he sends them out two by two in pairs. He wants to give them the chance to go out, practice preaching, teaching, and ministering, and then be able to come back to him and talk it through before the time comes when, when they're left alone, mm -hmm. right? And they're carrying that work forward. And there are, blessings do come. And he's trying to help them see that. You know, it gives them a sense of encouragement. Look, <laughs> blessings are going to come as you go out and preach the gospel. So I wanted to start out by asking the audience, what blessings have you received when you've attempted and tried to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Kiera. So about two years ago, I was praying to know if I should go and serve a mission or not. And I received the answer that I needed to go. And as soon as I started to prepare, I was blessed with um, college opportunities and work opportunities. But as I continued to pray and diligently live the gospel, I knew that I needed to leave um, and go on a mission. And so I recently returned home and I've seen so many blessings in my life from the experiences that I had, from the things that I've learned. And not everyone has the opportunity to serve for 18 months or for two years. But as I've focused on just doing one act of kindness every day, trying to continue to serve and love others as Jesus Christ would, I've been able to have more peace and joy in my life. Um, and I've been able to see so many blessings and miracles. Kira, how did you know that you wanted to go and serve a mission? Like, what was that like? How did it feel? So I think that the Spirit speaks to each of us in different ways. And as I prepared general conference, it was coming up and I prayed, I was asking so many questions, especially about whether I should leave to serve a mission. And as I was listening to one of the speakers, the answer came so clearly. God speaks to me a lot through thoughts in my mind. And I just got the answer here, you need to leave and you need to leave right now. Um, so the next day, right after general conference, I started my papers. Wow. Yeah. She straightway <laughs> left her net. <laughs> you know, and, I, and what I really appreciate what Kira said is that it, it's not always, you know, going on a, a, a mission for two years or for 18 months. It's in everyday acts of kindness and things that we do that that's really what we're doing is we're spreading this, this wonderful message of Jesus Christ. And blessings do come from that. Elder M. Russell Ballard, he has a great quote uh, talking about blessings that come from serving a mission. And he said, the Lord knows you. When you are serving your mission, you will have experiences that will help you come to know him better. You will grow spiritually in serving him. In his name, you will be sent on errands to serve others. 
He will give you experiences with promptings from the Holy Ghost. The Lord will authorize you to teach in his name. And I, I love that idea of he knows us so well and he's going to bless us with these experiences. We're setting out, you know, 18, 19 year old young men and young women to do something that's so monumental, but the blessings that come from, from preaching the gospel, from serving, in my mind, there's only one source from which those blessings can come, you know, because it is such a, a, a unique monumental task that has to be done. And so he's going to give you the blessings to do it. What are some of the costs that Christ's disciples are going to have to bear in their service? And what are some of the costs that we, you know, face as we become true disciples of Jesus Christ? Well, I have a personal experience. I remember going to my institute classes and feeling so strongly that I wanted to share the things that I was learning. And so I was just dreaming, dreaming of being a missionary. Yet my parents didn't approve. It's not like they said, don't go. They just said, just don't go now. It was probably six months of a lot of confusion. Like I didn't know what to do. Should I just go? And then I was reading third Nephi chapter 13. And again, this is when Jesus Christ comes to America and is giving instruction to the apostles mm -hmm. and is telling them. And then here at the end of the chapter, it says, For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Duh. <laughs> it was like, he knows I have needs of a career or studies, or he knows that I need these things. Um, and then 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God mm -hmm. and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And when I read this scripture again, I had this strong feeling I needed to get on my knees and ask for forgiveness. I already have received a question. I already knew that I need to go on a mission. Why, why was I making it uh, hard? I just needed to tell my parents, no, I'm going. And mm -hmm. that's what I did. After this scripture, I just went and told them, no, I'm going when I'm 21 and school can't wait and I will be fine. Um, but the story doesn't end there. The day before I went to the MTC, I flew to uh, Colombia, which was the MTC that I, I went. I received my paycheck, the, the hard copy of my paycheck blessing. Um, the paycheck I heard that I was going on a mission, so he made the arrangements and, and they made the hard copy. I remember getting my paycheck blessing and getting in the car and reading it like for the first time. Um, and then I read a whole paragraph about my mission. And before that paragraph, um, there is a part where it says, Anna, I bless you that you will finish your studies. And it says that, that they are important to me. And then he says, but remember, and he quotes this scripture. He <laughs> says, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So that was very special to me because mm -hmm. I learned, first, God wants you to serve him, and he will make the arrangements necessary so you can receive the, the, those blessings. He wants, you, he wants you to bless his children. And he'll make the arrangements so you can go bless his children, but he will also bless you. It's all about timing and it will work out. Second thing I learned is that God truly knows you and he talks to you through the scriptures. But yet, if you don't get it through the scriptures, you still have your paycheck of blessing. <laughs> so it, it, was, it was amazing. It was a great experience. I think it's interesting, though, for all these blessings you received, that even your parents who are active in the church, involved, mm -hmm. believe, there's that little hesitation, right? Mm -hmm. And if family's gonna be that way in the church, 
how much more are some people going to look at it and go, wait, 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 what right. are you doing? What is this kingdom of God? Mm -hmm. Why are you putting it first? Why are you at my door? And Jesus does warn the apostles in verse 22, for example. He says, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So he's warning his apostles, they're going to experience opposition when they go out. There mm -hmm. is a cost. Yeah. It's not going to come out easy. Yep. I remember this one time I was getting in public transportation and then um, just this group of kids came in a truck and, and threw some mangoes at me and my companion. Um, and, and he hurt, but then we ran and grabbed them and ate them. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a cost. Yep. There is a cost. Dallin H. Oaks has a great quote uh, talking uh, about this thing and the sacrifices that sometimes have to be made. He says, upon receiving a testimony of the truth of the restored gospel, Modern pioneers have unhesitatingly sacrificed all that was required to assure that its blessings will be available to their children and to generations unborn. Some have sold all their property to travel to a temple. Some have lost employment. Many have lost friends. Some have even lost parents and extended family as new converts have been disowned for their faith. This must be the greatest sacrifice of all. You know, and as I've thought about this idea of, you know, when we, when we look at the topic, the blessings and costs of discipleship, I view it as the blessings are, are long-term, the costs are temporary. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, especially when in relation to these specific 12 apostles? I think that the blessings are eternal, there's blessings too that some of them experience right away, right? Okay. They go out, they come back, and they say, hey, we met these mm -hmm. people, these things happened, and they're excited, right? They've seen those blessings. But their whole lives are going to be affected by, by this division, right? Mm -hmm. And so that there is this tradition that they literally gave up their lives for their belief and, and in order to lay the foundation of God's kingdom on earth. There must be an opposition in all things. And I feel that um, as you have opposition, you have the choice to um, succumb. Is that a word? Succumb, uh -huh. yeah. Or, or fight it. Um, I personally choose to fight. And that strengthened my testimony. It's like, bring it up. I can do it. I can... I can learn from this and become better. And I have to say, I love the way you fight <laughs> because it would be so easy when you're facing that kind of opposition mm -hmm. to get bitter, defensive, confrontational. And okay, there are times when an apostle maybe cut off somebody's ear <laughs> or, you know, they, they weren't perfect. Mm -hmm. But uh, the thing Jesus asked them and asked us to do is to learn to return good for evil. I loved your story where they threw mangoes at you and you uh, ate them. Yes, we just right. cut out of the bus, picked them up and ate them. Yeah, but how often can, can we take that model as the way we deal with this contention? You know, it's a great skill to maintain firm in our faith while at the same time maintaining positive relationships. So how have you been able to uh, disagree with somebody without being disagreeable? Brittany. I found that it's been just really most effective and eye-opening when I take my ego and my 
purpose and agenda out of it and really try to listen to what the other person is saying. You know, seeing the other person, our family, or friend, a stranger, as a child of God and having their own experience and their own reasons for where they're coming from, it's been a lot easier for me to be able to find that common ground and to be able to understand and love them and be able to end those conversations on a positive and loving note. Well, thank you for sharing that. So how do we maintain that peace as we encounter those that, you know, may be hostile towards us as we try to share something that is so precious to us and is a message of peace? I think one specific way you can use that love is learning to be charitable as you guess at other people's motivation. Okay, explain right? a little bit. So if somebody's in conflict with me, I can assume that's because they're a bad person okay. or because they're out to get me. Mm -hmm. But if instead of that, I say, we disagree and I need to stand where I am and you feel a need, but I'm going to try to assume the best of you okay, and that we're trying to work something out together. And so I think even in the face of this opposition, oh, what was it? I can't remember which conference talk it was where he said, there are times we need to disagree, but not times we need to be disagreeable. Right. right. Uh -huh. um, and I, I think we can learn from that and, and learn to lead with the best possible interpretation of where other people are coming from. Mm -hmm. Because we all had different experiences and come from different yes. backgrounds. One thing my mission president told us that I thought was really interesting is that Christ called his missionaries to gather his elect. And he said, everybody's elect at their own time. God's <laughs> working with them. Yes, right. There's true. stuff happening in their life. So don't worry if somebody has conflict or disagrees, you don't need to persuade them that you're right. You need to stand true to what you believe. And go to the next door. And go to the next door yes. and find the person who's more ready where, where you can bring Christ's peace to them. We know that discipleship brings blessings, but there also is a cost. And I appreciate all of your, your thoughts that you have shared with us. And thank you for, for sharing your experiences. I'm really excited to dive into more of these, uh, these topics uh, you know, as we move on to footnotes. And for those of you that are home, uh, we're just getting started. Footnotes is next, where we'll dive a little bit deeper with James and Anna into the scriptures, the context, the history, and more. I think Come Follow Up is is an excellent resource uh, to be able to dive a little deeper, get a little bit more clarity on topics, and also pose, you know, different ideas and different thoughts that you didn't come up with yourself. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I think it's an excellent supplement to your home study and to preparing for your lessons on Sunday. I really liked when they were talking about how, um, with fear, you know, just like go to God and like pray about it and you know it'll help you overcome that fear like in your life and then you know you can wake up the next day and it'll be better already just because you went to the Lord and like you know he will help you. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've let our studio audience go and now we'll continue our discussion with James and Anna. Okay, I want to revisit one of the things we talked about earlier about uh, a story that we learned about in Matthew chapter uh, nine and Mark chapter five, and then woman with the issue of blood. 
Now, James, there's a small detail that I want to ask you about that we find in Matthew 9 account that we don't find in the Mark 5 account. And that is when she touches the garment in chapter 9 of Matthew, it's, it, it mentions the hem. What is the significant <laughs> about the hem in general with her touching the garment to be healed? Yeah, that's a good question. So she's reaching out and just barely getting the edge. And maybe that's all that's meant, right? Is that through the crowd, all she needed was that very hem. But on a lot of Jewish religious clothing, the, the hem of the robe has some significance. So like this is a prayer shawl mm -hmm. that some friends gave me. And you can see there's these, they're called tzitzit mm. on the end. And these are symbols of the commandments, right? And so it's interesting to think about when the woman is touching Jesus' clothing, is it just clothing or, or is there this sacred significance to the things she's touching, this, this connection with a symbol of righteousness? Nice. Interesting. Now, do you think it matters? Because we know that there are differences with the writers. In Matthew's account, is there a significance that he mentions the hem and Mark doesn't? Maybe, maybe not, okay. right? I don't know. It's certainly true that, they're, that they've got different sensibilities, okay. different things. Matthew does like to focus a lot on the, the way that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy and those sorts of things. So, so maybe if we're right, <laughs> uh -huh. that the reason he mentions him is because of a religious symbolic significance that would certainly fit his pattern of showing Jesus fitting together with this long tradition because these clothes are mentioned all the way back to the Torah, right? Mm -hmm. The five books of Moses, they're given the commandment to, to wear these, these tassels on the, okay. the end of their garments. I think they're called fringes in okay. King James. So the topics we, we touched on earlier, uh, we kind of see that both of them exist in, in the story of Jairus and, and his daughter and the story of this woman with, with the issue of blood where at first we talk about being not afraid and only believing. The, the, the fear that had to be overcome in both these situations. And on the other hand, sometimes there is a cost to discipleship. I think with these experiences that we're reading in the Bible is the same thing, is how much faith this woman applied, right? When she said in 28, in chapter five in Mark, verse 28 said, for he, she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. If I could just, whatever it is, blink, then I could do something, right? She just had to be there close to the mm -hmm. Savior and she could only touch his clothes, right? And I always love the symbolism of whole spiritually and whole mm -hmm. physically. And it, it, it is symbolic, right? It will heal her, but it will also make her whole as a person. Yeah, I love that. We talked briefly before with the audience about what it might have felt like for her being ritually unclean mm -hmm. to go through this crowd and how everything felt. But I thought, now that we're together, let's take time to go in a little deeper and just read this account okay. in Mark. I'll go ahead and start in 29. So she touches mm -hmm. the garment, maybe just the hem, mm -hmm. right? These tzitzit. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press, this crowd everywhere, and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, 
Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? Jesus had to be kind of tough sometimes for these people <laughs> to be around, always asking these weird questions, right? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. So I think she'd worried. I touched him. He noticed, did I... Did I take away from His mm -hmm. Holiness? Did I break the yeah, saint? Yeah, like she did something bad or something. Yeah. Because yeah. this was, you imagine the, the array of emotions that the, the, the courage that it took, the fear she had to overcome just to fight through the crowd and touch His hand. And all of a sudden it, it says immediately, she yeah. she, she's healed. And it was probably this overwhelming sense of relief like that worked. And then all of a sudden he says, who touched me? And you see <laughs> that fear come back. It's like, yeah. I did something wrong. Uh -huh. That's an emotional roller coaster. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And then it says, after she tells him the truth, she admits. And you have to imagine she's then admitting to everybody in the crowd, mm -hmm. I wasn't necessarily supposed to be here or touching all of you. And I touched all of you. But then in verse 34, after she's worried, and he said unto her, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And so you have this moment where Jesus not only heals her, but also makes sure she knows mm -hmm. that it's okay, that he saw her. Knowledge her. Yes. Yeah. Comforts her. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I can just imagine. I did want to come back, too, to this word virtue. Yeah. Because footnotes. Yeah, the footnotes say power, strength. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times today we think of virtue specifically in terms of chastity mm -hmm. and sexual restraint, following, following those specific commandments. But it's not. It's broader, right? Mm -hmm. it, it means a power. I, I like the word virtue in English because power can be really negative. Mm -hmm. And virtue shows you it has that sense of a power that flows out of righteousness and out of these covenants you've made. You know, I wonder, because uh, we have this story where virtue comes up, um, talking about an unnamed woman. In the book of Abraham, we have the story of the virgins that were sacrificed. They're unnamed, but because of their, their virtue. I don't know if there's any significance to the fact that they're not named, but they are known for their virtue as if that takes precedence. You know, like that's what matters. You know, it doesn't matter who knows who you are. It's what matters on the inside, striving to become virtuous as opposed to be perhaps known of the world, which oftentimes today, it's all about who knows me and how many, you know, likes or clicks can I get instead of really strengthening that inner core that comes from Jesus Christ. And maybe that's a distinction between, even though it means power in English, a lot of times when we talk about power, we think about important people. And virtue is this thing that can, can flow anywhere, mm -hmm. right? Maybe not anywhere, right? But, but doesn't come with political power or those things, but with, with an anonymous person who's, who's righteous, right? And who's connected with that divine source. I know that as I am virtuous and I try to keep myself clean, I have the power to ask for for God's blessings. Like I feel clean to get on my knees and ask God um, for the things I need in my life. Um, and, you know, they can give given to God's time. But I just, I, I'm in this position where I feel 
good to talk to my heavenly father. And, and I feel that that gives me power. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite Doctrine and Covenants passages, talks about exactly that thing. Mm. If you go to Where? Doctrine and Covenants 121, this is Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail, and they've had political power used against them, mm -hmm. right? And been persecuted, and he's been thrown in prison. The saints have been thrown out of the state. And part of the comfort the Lord gives him is that there's, there's a lot that can get taken from you by earthly human power, but there's this kind of power, right, that transcends that. And you'd use that word confidence. Uh -huh. You have confidence to go and, and claim divine power. So if we start in verse 45 of DNC 121, let thy bowels also be full of charity towards all men and to the household of faith, and let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly then shall thy confidence uh -huh. wax strong in the presence of God, and the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion, and thy scepter an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth, and thy dominion shall be an everlasting dominion, and without compulsory means it shall flow unto thee forever and ever. And that's the ultimate goal. All the things we do, all the commitments we have, it is for us to have the companionship of the Holy Ghost and to have that confidence to talk to our Heavenly Father and have a relationship with Him. Yep. I love this image, too, of the, the power flowing forever and ever. That gets back to this anxiety the woman has, mm -hmm. right? Did I, did I take it? Did I break it? And what she learns is Christ's power does not just run out. Right. Uh -huh. um, it's not interrupted because, because you were there and you're not the perfect person you wanted to be, or your life isn't, doesn't look like you think mm -hmm. it should. She's able to receive that virtue from him. And he, I mean, the very next thing he does, right, is goes and raises that girl. So, mm -hmm. so the power is enough. Christ's power is sufficient to reach into all our needs. From what we've learned about the justice experience, what are some of the things that we can learn when we connect some of these stories within these chapters? You know, you'd asked about Matthew. Mm -hmm. For literary scholars, one of the things that stands out about Mark is that very thing, that he'll interrupt one story and give you another story and then mm -hmm. return to the first, and it's usually intentional. Okay. There's connections you can start to see. So I guess, Without answering your question all the way, I'm going to say, very good, that's the right question. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I hope people, as they study the scriptures, don't just focus on the verse and what doctrine mm -hmm. is in the verse, but on the it, shape of yeah. the story, right? I have challenged my Sunday school class and my ward before to read Mark in a week. Honestly, you could read Mark in a day. And it's a very short book, and it's a beautiful, evocative book. And there's different things you can get when you try to go through it just, just quickly and let it flow over you and think about, huh, why did we go from here to here to here? I feel that faith is the main topic in this in miracles. Just regular people, people that haven't seen Jesus Christ before, they just run to him mm -hmm. and, and ask um, for help to make something happen. To, to make it different, to make it better. And with this great faith they had, change happened and things were better. And 
and all the people that were influenced by those miracles until today. We read these scriptures today and we are converted by it too because we feel them. So until today, many years later, people are being converted by these miracles and by the faith that they exercise. Yes. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? That um, I've had people ask me before, well, what do you think Jesus was really like? Or what's the history you're interested in that? And I say, okay, we can talk about that. And there's not a ton we know, right? Mm -hmm. Like he didn't, as far as we know, he wrote once in the sand, right? That's Jesus' right. journal and it got uh -huh. wiped away. <laughs> oh. But there's power in the books, right? In the story. And so I'm I'm so captivated by that. Mm -hmm. As you're thinking about this story, you know, we already talked about how when you notice that the story of the woman with the issue of blood happens inside the story yeah. uh -huh. of, of the raising of the daughter, yeah. that helps show this, this thing we were talking about, that the power is not limited. Mm -hmm. It continues to flow. I think it's interesting, too, that there is that number 12 in and both? Jair yeah. was watching this, so he was influenced his testimony as well as he was walking towards the yes. next miracle, right? right? He was, right. Yes. He was observing he can this. see something happen. So, so when Jesus says that, he can look back. I love that connection. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, too, we talked about virtue as a power of righteousness. The very next chapter starts to talk about the, the royal family and all the crazy things that are going there. Mm -hmm. So Herod, who killed the babies, his kingdom is split between three sons. And on family vacation, <laughs> one of them hooks up with the other's wife, oh, right? Yes. Uh -huh. John the Baptist says, you shouldn't be right. doing this, right? And then it's Herodias's daughter. You have the story of how she manipulates mm -hmm. things and dances in order to have John the Baptist killed. Mm -hmm. Both of them, it's sort of an opposite story, right? Here we've looked at virtue. And here we've looked at what that can look like. And then we have kind of the, the inverse, right? Where sexuality is used in, in, a, different way. in a broken yeah, way right. yeah. to create destruction and, and turn people against mm -hmm. each other. So we get more when we look at those chapters and what they're saying to each other right. than if we looked at just one alone. You know, uh, one thing that I noticed by looking at these stories, you know, collectively and, and in connection with each other is, I wonder because, you know, here uh, Jesus is walking in and he's, a, he's going to, to visit, you know, Jairus's daughter. And on his way, as we said, you know, he, we have this woman with the issue of blood. Like, this is kind of a big deal. You know, somebody's really, really sick. And you can imagine that from those in the crowd, uh, there is this sense of urgency, like, come on, let's go. <laughs> Yet, because of the knowledge that he has of what he is capable of doing, because of the power that he knows exists within himself, he's able to pay attention to other things that, that really matter. So I wonder how often in our lives do we get to a point where because of the knowledge we have of God and of the power of the atonement, how often do we kind of slow down a little bit. It's interesting how the knowledge that we gain, you know, as other Packer says, that true doctrine understood, it does change our attitude and behavior. And you see it right here with the Savior. His behavior and his attitude is totally different because of that, the knowledge that he has of what he's going to do you know, later, he can stop and help other people on the way. It's that eternal perspective, mm -hmm. I think, that changes things, right? Absolutely. 
So one, one thing that I wanted to, to look at and explore a little bit is just the society and the world in which Jesus lived. How do we look at a situation like that and kind of make sense of it in the modern world in which we live on how to deal with and treat others as we see in these chapters? Yeah, that's a good question. We didn't talk a lot about the stories in these chapters that happen on the other side of the lake. Okay. There's a man who's in a graveyard, living in a graveyard, he's not wearing clothes, hair is long, and he's cutting himself, right? Mm -hmm. And he's possessed with these demons and and their name is Legion, mm -hmm. and they get sent away. And a lot of people who study the New Testament say it's probably not a coincidence that word Legion lines up with the armies, mm -hmm. that Roman armies that would occupy places and soldiers who would do what they wanted to do. And it was, it was violent, unstable, difficult times, right? Mm -hmm. And I've wondered too, we don't know what's going on with this guy, but the fact that he's sitting in a graveyard right? Are there people he knew there? Sometimes you'd have riots mm -hmm. in a city and the Jewish quarter would get targeted and people would go after them. You know, did he lose people there? Certainly to this day, we see people who psychologically, when they, when they can't deal with certain things and just don't feel whole in their skin, will kind of cut themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's really wonderful that the writers of the Gospels gave us access to people with all these struggles and gave us those details so that we can see Jesus could reach out to these mm -hmm. people, right? And the, the kinds of things people still go through of, of being that minority and dealing with trauma and hard loss and psychological pressure that that were not beyond his reach. He he went those places. He talked to those people. And, and Anna, you've talked about that. You know, yeah. some of the, in, in, in Venezuela, some of the things that you, you've seen and witnessed. Yeah. So when we, we are living in the chaos, mm -hmm. right? Like my people. Right. They're living in chaos. You, you tend to find that peace maybe in places where it's not. To, not to be found. Okay. Peace come from the eternal things which are taught through the gospel. And that eternal happiness come by keeping the commandments, you know, going to the temple and doing the co covenants we need to do to return to our Heavenly Father. Very simple, but that's what will take us there. So that's how I find peace, for example. In, when I'm going through hard times, I find peace when... Um, I know who I am, a reminder of who I am, and remember my identity mm -hmm. as a daughter of God, and then through prayer, and then just think of the eternal thing. This, this is just like Joseph Smith experience. It's just for a small period of time, but things will get better. There is more, more into it than what I can see. And in those teachings, like we were talking about, right, virtue is power. Mm -hmm. That's where the word comes from. Mm -hmm. And so you can, can be in a situation where you feel powerless, but as you're able to focus sometimes on small, simple things, there's this power of righteousness that comes that, that maybe will improve your situation or, or maybe just build a spiritual legacy that will endure after the political problems mm -hmm. and, and the worldly power is washed away. That it will make you 
step up, arise, right? And, and this, this word comes in the scriptures, right? Arise. So in Mark 5, verse 41, he says, Then he took the damsel mm -hmm. uh, by the hand and said unto her, Talita kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And this word really gets my attention every time I read it, arise. And um, in 35, for example, when Jesus Christ comes to America and he talks to the people here in this continent in chapter 11, right? He comes down, people get on their knees, and then Jesus Christ says, And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto them, saying, Arise, and come forth unto me. And then he tells them, you know, touch my hands, mm -hmm. know that I am. Arise. So you've, they fell, right? You fall, and then he tells you, Arise, come and see. And then it's a pattern every time. Here you have, he calls the twelve. So now it's Nephi. Nephi arose and went forth because, uh, and bowed himself before the Lord and did kiss his feet. He went down, right? And then Jesus Christ tells him, and the Lord commanded him that he should right. arise. And he arose and stood before him. Yeah, experiences, that's where that peace comes from. It's from, you know, when you're low and desperate, he invites you to come to him, to arise and to know that he is. That's incredible. You know, and ultimately, when we look at the message of the New Testament, like we talked about earlier, it's, it's not a happy ending for, for a lot of these disciples in, in right then and there. They were expecting something totally different. They were expecting liberation right then and there. And he's telling them, look, we're gonna, this is, this is going to take some time. You know, this is, we're looking at the eternal perspective of that peace that he has to offer. And sometimes we can get frustrated when it doesn't happen in our timing, but the ultimate goal is he's trying to help us return back to live with our, our Father in heaven. I, I'm so grateful for, for both of you, for what you added. And for the viewers at home, thank you for joining us for this discussion on faith and discipleship. I'd like to encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received today. Continue this discussion with us on Facebook and Instagram. We've also got additional material available for download on byutv.org slash come follow up. Please join us next week as we discuss the blessings of relying on Christ and how to enrich our Sabbath day worship. Come follow up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.